You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. First question, what happens to someone who is stamped as God's possession, yet then turns away? I talked about this last week as we saw how the Holy Spirit, he, uh, he, he has a down payment on us. And when we believe, he, it's kind of like he puts a soul sticker on us or, or maybe an engagement ring or more literally, but a bit more graphically, a bit like a brand that you brand an animal. It's sort of your mark for life. And that's a great sense of comfort because when we say to God that we are sorry and we want you to be our king and not ourselves, for him to say, all right, I'll, I will actually put a little ring on your finger, so to speak, a, a stamp on you, a seal, that's a great comfort. But the question is, what about people who, who with a big hoo-ha say, I've decided to follow Jesus, and then a few years down the track, they're no longer followers of Jesus? The question here is asking, what happened to them? Were they, I guess but reading between the lines, were they truly saved or were they not saved? How does that all, that all work away? Well, when we read the Bible, we, we understand from the world how God sees the world. And that is basically someone who falls away is either someone who, who never truly believed or maybe someone who, who never actually fully fell away. Let me tell you what I mean. On the one hand, it might be that a person decided, you know, I really want to be a follower of Jesus, I think. Well, I'll sort of give it a go and I'll, I'll go along for the ride. And maybe they've never fully said, I'm, a, I'm totally throwing Jesus my car keys. I'm totally putting, taking my crown off my head and laying it at his feet. And then as time goes by, when they stop following Jesus, it's kind of like they, they never really fully jumped in and so therefore they were never stamped and therefore they've drifted away. But I think the other thing happens, and I see this from time to time, that there are some people who come to follow Jesus and they follow Jesus and they truly do and then they go through a bit of a tough patch. Sometimes they might move from one house to another and then don't really get connected in with the church and drift away a bit. They've never stopped following Jesus in their heart. They've never stopped having him as their king, but they've really sort of stopped living it in a way. And for them, they've been stamped and on the last day they'll be friends with Jesus. Though they would have gone through their life thinking, oh, actually, I've really wasted my life in a lot of ways, even though I was friends with Jesus. Can you see, we can't really know for sure. The only person who really knows is God and you about your own heart. With all that in mind, it's a, it's a reminder for us that if you've begun the journey following in Jesus, keep going. And if you've just sort of given it lip service and said, well, I've sort of, you know, I've been going to church all my life and I'm kind of a Christian, I think. If you've never personally said to Jesus, I want you to be my king and I'd, I want to sit under your loving rule for my life as a man or a woman who is now forgiven. If you haven't done that yet, there's always time to do it. Now is a great time. Relating to that, question two, how can we prevent complacency drifting into our Christian life? What's complacency? Well, it's kind of like where you sort of get into the run of the mill. It's like another day, another day, another day, another day, and, and nothing really happens. Uh, it's easy for that to happen in your Christian life. It's, I think it's, there's, there's been times in my Christian life where I've got a bit complacent. Uh, I, it's a danger, I think. Someone said to me when I was a teenager that the Christian life's a little bit like riding a bike, that if you stop pedalling, you'll eventually fall off. I think he's kind of right. Uh, we, we want to keep peddling. We want to keep, keep being active in following Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we prevent this complacent? I, I think we need to keep meeting together like we're doing now. 
Uh, it, it, there's a great verse in the book of Hebrews. Do not give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. Now, in this weird time in our world history, for some of you, continuing to meet together means sitting down and watching a screen. And a big shout out to you if you're watching via Facebook Live on your lounge and and watching us right now. It's just lovely to have you with us. You're still meeting with us. But whether you're here in the building or over in the hall or Facebook Live or whatever, we, we need to keep encouraging one another. And if you are watching at a distance and haven't really connected up with some people from church, give them a call. Why don't you connect that way as well and, uh, and stay on that way? But I think there are other ways as well. Keep reading the Bible on your own. You might think, oh, I don't think I'm spiritual enough to read the Bible on my own and I wouldn't know where to start. It's not rocket science. Grab the Bible. You might want to flick to the second half, the New Testament. The first four bits of the New Testament are four different histories of Jesus' life. They're awesome. Just read a little bit, about that much, a little bit each day, and within a few months you'll have read a whole book. It's awesome. Read that. That will help you stop being complacent. And for me, I I find that I like to read a challenging book about Jesus and about the Christian life. I, I, you might think that because I've you know done a bit of theological study and stuff like that, that I've worked out everything to go with Jesus. No, it's kind of like I've just sort of walked in the door. It's like, whoa, so much more to learn. And every week, every I'm learning more and more and more. And and if you're following, if you're following Jesus. Do the same. There's some great books to read, and I'd love to encourage you to keep doing that. Question three, what does the Bible say is the best way to identify and kill sin in my life? It's a really kind of active way of of thinking about the Christian life. I like it. Well, that's what the work of the Holy Spirit does in our life. That's what he does for us. As we read the Bible, we're reading the Bible and it says, you know, do not slander another person. You think, ooh, ouch, actually, yeah, I think I probably did speak badly of somebody when they weren't in the room and, and that may well have really hurt them, hurt them and I really hope there wasn't a microphone on that they listened to if I was on speakerphone by accident. You know, you think, oh. And so the Lord uses his Holy Spirit as you read the Bible to, to make us identify sin in our life. Uh, we, he's also given us a conscience, which is interesting. Uh, he's given us a conscience so that sometimes we do stuff and we feel bad about it. Uh, that's a gift from God. It's easy to go through life and wreck your conscience. Someone said to me, it's a little bit like your handbrake. If, if you accidentally spend a whole day driving with your handbrake fully on, other than the fact that it'll make a horrible noise and a terrible smell, eventually the handbrake will stop working because the, the pad's been worn all the way down. Uh, it's a bit like that with our conscience. And so if we keep not listening to our conscience saying, oh, no, that's bad, but I don't care. I'll watch that. I'll do that. I'll say that. I'll be that or whatever. You keep putting your handbrake on while you're driving. It's not going to work. How do we fatten up the pads in our handbrakes then? We listen to God's word and his spirit strengthens us and gives us a way to recognize sin. How do we kill sin in our life? Well, I'll give you some good news and some bad news. The good news is if you say sorry to God about that sin, as we've already done this morning, he says, I forgive it. I forget it. It's gone. What a beautiful relief that is. But at the same time, life this side of heaven is a constant battle. It's a constant sort of struggling to say, okay, well, I'm going to say no to that sin and I've been all day and I reckon I've probably nailed that one and then suddenly out of nowhere something will hit you from the side and bam, you think I'm right into it again. You think, oh, do I give up? No, don't give up. Get back on the horse. Keep striving, keep hearing God's word, keep praying for forgiveness. That is this Christian life. And then when Jesus returns or we go to be with him in glory, that is over. No more sin. Imagine what it would be like. No more sin. 
that day is coming if you're a person who trusts in Jesus. I can't wait for the day when I stop hurting other people. I can't wait for the day when we, we stop as a society having hurt, that we, we turn on the news. Oh, I would love it if there was this good news all the time. But there's not. That's the life in which we live. And the biggest problem with it is me. And so we keep confessing our sins, knowing God's love and comfort, and listening to his Holy Spirit in the word of God. Finally, a bit of a change. Should Christians participate in online debates and discussions? Yes, I think Christians should. Doesn't mean that every individual Christian should. So if you're not on Facebook or something like that, um, you've got a life. Well done. So, you know, uh, but if you are and you've got a few people that from time to time you see something pop up, you might want to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe this or that and engage in that sort of way. Now, a little bit of a warning. If you do that and stick your head out, it's probably going to get kicked. That's okay. If you see someone else getting beaten up online, jump on in and, and maybe defend them a little bit. I, I, a lot of people will kick around ideas online now, especially when we're less face-to-face. We're, we're talking online and we're kicking ideas around. And be careful what you say, in a sense, just say say stuff, but be careful what you say because it's how you say it that is even sometimes more important. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm online, I, I, sometimes someone will say something, uh, maybe I'll, you know, every weekend I will post on Facebook our live stream and I'll post it on the, on the Jamboree What's Happening page. And so I'll stick it on there and say, great time to come to church and join us online or whatever. And occasionally people will write some little comments. And I, I got one a little while ago where it was like, you know, you know, when is God going to cure my illness? And I, the, the tone of voice I immediately assumed was that it was kind of like, when's God going to cure my illness? And I'm, and I'm like, it's very easy to reply back and say, you know, <laughs> capital letters and all this sort of stuff. But it could be that they're just saying, you know, when's God going to cure my illness? You guys know Jesus and I'd love to know that answer. Uh, the answer is not going to be like, well, what would you know? It's like, <laughs> smoke coming out of my ears. It's like, assume that they're doing the second one, the, the kind of like asking nice questions and, and, and assuming the best of it. And you can get some, into some wonderful, questions, wonderful Q&A times and uh, you will be surprised how many people are listening in. So be careful what you say. And if you're really confused, at the end of the day, don't know what you're doing, just, just tag Graham Errington. He'll jump on in and he'll... Uh, he'll uh, He'll answer the question for you and, 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 and beat up the others for you on Facebook, won't you, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> no, no beating up on Facebook, no beating up on Facebook. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.